Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I want to continue in welcoming you this morning to Soul City Church, especially those of you who are in the corner classroom. We are so glad that you're here. And uh, this is a uh, conclusion, as Kurt said, to our series, Weapons of Self-Destruction. I want to get into the heart of the message here in a moment. I just want to hit pause and do a little family celebration for our church, uh, because a really fun thing happened on our staff this last week. Uh, If you've ever been in a small group at Soul City Church, or if you're currently in uh, one of our amazing small groups here at Soul City Church, the reason uh, all of that works and works so well is because a person on our staff named Nicole Scott, who uh, leads all of our groups and all the volunteers who lead our groups. Sure, you can cheer for Nicole. I don't say this. I never said you couldn't. Uh, Nicole does an amazing job of making sure that our church, as it's growing, continues to stay small and that we continue to grow better in circles than we do in rows. Well, what's really great is uh, Nicole and her husband, Doug, had a little addition to their circle this last week. And I want to actually put up a picture of uh, Arabella Elizabeth, who was born this uh, last Wednesday night. And she is beautiful. And her and mom are doing fantastic. And so we are growing our numbers here at Soul City Church. (laughs) Literally, Nicole counts Arabella as a group member. And so we... um, you know, we are so excited to celebrate with her and with Doug, and we love them so much. And so uh, it's a fun uh, addition to our church family. As Kurt mentioned, we're actually uh, concluding our Weapons of Self-Destruction series this morning uh, by looking at shame. You know, if, you, if you've missed the last couple weeks, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can catch up the podcast. You can watch the videos. There's been some powerful stuff that God has been speaking into about things that we don't speak enough about. And so this morning, we're going to talk about something we don't hardly ever talk about, in church or in public, and that is shame. Something that more of us are wrestling with than we may even realize. Something that desperately demands secrecy for its survival. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to bring it into the light, and we're going to allow God to speak into the places where we feel shame, not only with his truth from the Bible, which we're going to get to in a moment, but also with his, with his love. So I'm excited to see where God is going to take us this morning and how we're going to walk out of here different than when we walked in. I'm currently, we are currently in a season as a family in our home where our, our kids are actually obsessed with gum. Like it's their job to chew gum all day. And so they, our kids are eight and five, will go through three or four pieces of gum a day, sometimes at a time. They just chew and chew and chew. And so one of the things is, is our son Elijah has learned to blow bubbles. And we're very proud of him for that. And I told him he can put that on his resume. That sells. And so he's very excited about being able to blow bubbles. His sister does not know how to blow bubbles. This creates some tension dynamic in our family. And so Gigi is constantly practicing blowing bubbles. And what ends up happening with her practice rounds is the gum goes one of two places, either out her mouth onto the floor or she swallows it. And so I found myself saying to her this week, this last week, something that I had heard my parents say to me hundreds of times before. And I found myself repeating it, not knowing at all its merit or truth. She swallowed her gum. I said, oh, Gigi, no, no, you can't swallow your gum. It's going to take how many years? Seven years for you to digest that. Okay, this is a big concept for a five-year-old to wrap their brain around. But I said, Gigi, it's going to take seven years for you to digest that. And she's like, how do you know that? And I was struck with the most profound sensation. I don't know how I know that. It's what my parents told me, and so it's good enough for you. It's like seven years for you. It's amazing the things that we are perpetuating, that we heard our parents tell us, that again, we may have, it has no rooting or grounding in truth, but we've heard it so many times that we believe that it must be true. 
So as we walk into a look at shame and the power that it can play in our lives, I want us to do a little true or false quiz with some other assumptions or myths that we may have believed. And I want you to answer honestly based on what you believed right up till I gave you the setup of this quiz, okay? It's true or false, just true or false, okay? True or false, real simple. True or false, giving kids too much sugar will make them hyper. True or false? True, most of us believe that. Guess what? It's actually not scientifically true. That sugar actually has very little effect neurologically or you know, chemically on a kid and their activity. It can lead to them kind of having slower processing in their brains. It can lead to obesity, but it has very little connection to do with hyperactivity. Do you know what makes kids hyper? The fact that they're kids. They don't need anything else added to it. They just are that way. This is something I always grew up thinking about. Here's another one real quick, especially given kind of this weather we've been having. If you walk out of the house with wet hair, you will catch a cold. True or false? Oh, so you guys, okay, good. See, I had kind of thought that's true. You can't ever leave the house with wet hair. Not actually true at all. You have no greater exposure to catching a cold than you would if you had dry hair. The only thing you catch is maybe some hairsicles by the time you get to work. <laughs> And maybe you can make that work for you. All right, uh, let's see. Let's, we'll, we'll see if we can get into another one. Now, this one's very personal. Very personal. True or false? I want you to answer honestly. This winter is going to come to an end and spring will come. <laughs> True or false? False. Because God has forsaken us and we're living in the end of days. And I just thought I had to tell you that as your pastor. Buckle up. This is it. This is the end. According to our weather, couldn't be any further from the truth. All right, so listen, it's funny the things that the myths or the even maybe lies that we thought were truths because we've heard them said enough times. You hear something said enough times and you can believe that it's true. Those things can actually have somewhat of limited power in our lives, but they pale in comparison to the power of the lies that you tell yourself about yourself. They pale in comparison to the power of the lies that you tell yourself about yourself, lies that you convince yourself that you are somehow less than others, like we talked about last week, or that you don't matter to God or have no value to him, or you are not good enough for his love. These kind of lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves lie at the root of shame, something that way more of us struggle with, way more than we may have even realized when we walked into this room. It's a fantastic, a fantastic book uh, that is on the subject of shame and vulnerability called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. If you have not picked it up, I would strongly recommend chapter three alone is worth uh, the, the whole cost of the book because she kind of unpacks and unmasks the power of shame. And Brene Brown, after dozens of, you know, 10, 12, 15 years worth of study of the subject of shame, basically says this about all of us when it comes to shame. We all have it. We all have it. Shame is universal and one of the most primitive human emotions that we experience. You know, just moments in the story of the creation account in Genesis chapter 3, just moments after the first sin entered the world, it was quickly followed by shame. This is one of our most core basic human emotions and responses, lies that we tell ourselves, and yet we don't talk about it nearly enough. Shame can come in an instant and last a lifetime. It can come in an instant and it can last a lifetime, a struggle that you work out over the course of your life, over the course of your relationships, and over the course of your relationship with God. Think about it. Shame can pop up in an instant at work when your boss or a coworker 
kind of puts you down or kind of, you know, tears you apart in front of other employees, leans into you hard and embarrasses you, but that's more than embarrassment. It goes to a place of shame, and in an instant, it can be triggered. It can happen at home when a spouse or a roommate or a close friend reveals you and calls your bluff or rejects you and refuses to give you love. Shame can pop up in an instant in that relationship and in your life. Shame can pop up every morning when you look at the mirror. You, you, you look at the mirror and what you see in that mirror and what you say to yourself when you look at yourself about how you look says a lot about what you believe to be true about yourself. When you step on the scale, those aren't numbers you're looking at. It's a value statement. It's amazing how shame can pop up and define us and things that aren't even true, we've heard or told ourselves enough times that it actually becomes a reality to our identity. And you know what's so amazing? After all the research and all the study that's been done on shame, all the way across the board, Neuroscientists, sociologists, psychotherapists, counselors would all agree that there is actually no good that comes from any amount of shame in your life. In other words, maybe you kind of grew up in a home where you thought if I could just sort of make someone feel bad enough about something, they'll start doing good and doing the right thing. All the way across the board, categorically, this does not work for growth. Beating yourself up does not lead to bettering of yourself. It's never worked. And yet this is what we continue to do. Maybe something you heard about yourself or a lie that you've been telling yourself over and over and over and over and over again has not led to life for you. This is some serious stuff. And I want to make sure that we understand the difference because lots of times uh, we can confuse shame with sort of a, a, another sort of reflection of it. But in fact, they're very, very different. How many of you, this is true or false, True or false, how many of you thought that shame and guilt were the same thing? True or false? Thought shame and guilt were the same thing? True, yeah, you're not going to say it out loud now. It's not as fun. Okay. <laughs> True, most of us think that shame and guilt kind of in the same thing, run in the same vein. And I think for many of us, we kind of, maybe you grew up in, again in a home where that was kind of a currency. That's sort of how you knew how you were doing was by the amount of shame or guilt that was dispensated out to you. The reality is shame and guilt, while they do share a common core of regret, the difference and the distinctive lies in the direction that that regret takes you. Huge difference and very important before we open up the Bible and get into the heart of what God wants to say to you this morning. That shame and guilt do share a core element of regret, but the difference is where that regret takes you and what it does with you. In one of the most important books in my life and identifying and wrestling with my own shame and the way that that's been a part of my story and in really huge fundamental work in the preparing of this weekend's message, is a book called Shame and Grace by Lou Smeads. Shame and Grace by Lou Smeads. And he kind of lays out the difference between guilt and shame that we may not have noticed on the surface, but it's very, very, very important if we are ever going to live lives free and full of the identity that God actually longs for you to have. Lou Smeads says this in that book. He says, the difference between guilt and shame is actually very clear in theory. Very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we what? We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we Big difference. Feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because they did something wrong. A person feels shame because they are something wrong. 
We may feel guilty. He goes on to give an example because we lied to our mother, but we feel shame because we are not the person our mother wanted us to be. Do you see the difference? Powerful, the difference, distinctive between shame and guilt. Both deal in regret, but the difference is the direction that it takes you. You know, what's so interesting is that guilt actually, again, this is some maybe counterintuitive thinking for you, but this is what's actually taught throughout the course of the Bible. Guilt actually can be a gift from God. Guilt can actually be a gift from God. Again, different from shame. Guilt can be a gift from God because here's what guilt says. Guilt says actually that I regret what I've done. I regret what I've done. This is very, very, very important stuff. I regret what I've done. I'm becoming aware that I've done something to break the heart of God or break the agreement I made with God or break my own personal promise to myself. That can actually be a gift to you. But shame is not because shame says, I regret who I am. To my core, I regret who I am. And I believe, whether I would say it or not, that God made a mistake with me or wants nothing to do with me. Guilt can be a gift from God because it can lead to an awareness of our sin, an awareness of our dependence on God. Guilt can actually be a gift from God when it makes us and helps us become aware of what we've done that has broken the heart of God. And it can lead to confession, repentance. Again and again and again throughout the Bible, we see when people's hearts and lives are broken over guilt over what they've done, and we've seen the process of how God has forgiven and restored them. Do you know it's so amazing that guilt can actually lead you closer to God, but shame never will. Shame never will. Guilt can be a gift from God. Do you know what shame can be? Shame is actually a lie from hell. That's very strong language. Let me help you understand why I mean what I say when I say that. Guilt can be a gift from God. Shame is always a lie from hell. And here's how. Here's why. Because what shame does is shame speaks into you and says this. It attacks your identity. It attacks who you are. Remember, guilt is I regret what I've done. Shame is I regret who I am. Shame says you are a mistake. And it not only attacks your identity, it not only attacks your character, in so doing what shame does is it ultimately attacks the character and the identity of the God who created you. In other words, the God of the universe, the one who actually knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who wove you together beautifully, heart and soul and mind and strength, the God who intentionally and intricately wired you together to be who you are, clearly must have made a mistake. And you are proof that God is ultimately not enough because you believe that you are not enough. It is an attack not only on your own identity, but on the identity of the one who made you because he must have made a mistake with you. Shame is a lie from hell to destroy your life and to keep you from having life with God. That's why it's so important that we talk about this this weekend that we identify maybe some of the places that we've believed lies about ourselves that maybe we've heard or said enough times that we thought they were actual realities to our identity. It's important that we say, okay, God, where have I replaced your truth with a lie? Where have I replaced your love 
with shame. Can you think back to a time in your life where you felt that strong sense of shame, that I regret who I am. I just, I, I, I regret who I am. Can you think of maybe a time, maybe recently, maybe in your past? Um, there's one that, there's several, there's one that stands out for me. And it's, it is the most unexpected moment for shame to sort of hit my story. But it came when I was 15 years old. I was a freshman in high school. And it came in the most interesting way because it's what shame does. So it was spirit week at our school. And all the classes have to, you know, pick themes. And, and they, we were all competing against each other all week to win the coveted prize of spirit week. And so uh, we were so into it. I was a freshman at the time. And I don't remember how exactly it happened. But our theme for the week was freshman Flintstones. I went to a Christian high school, so give me a break. <laughs> so we were the freshman Flintstones, and we had dressed up in kind of caveman and cavewoman stuff all week, and you know, we kind of competed in all these different competitions, and the big rally was on Friday in our gymatorium. We were going like, to get all the classes together, and they were all going to do a presentation, like a dance or a song or something like that, and that would be one of the biggest points that you would receive in Spirit Week. And I had been entrusted with a task for Spirit Week for the freshman Flintstones, it was my job to record the theme song of the Flintstones so that we could all sing and dance to it at the big rally on Friday of Spirit Week. Nope. Big problem. It was Friday morning and I was getting dressed for school and I realized I hadn't recorded the song yet. Now let me just kind of paint a picture for you so that you understand the seriousness of this matter. <laughs> this is before iTunes, friends. I couldn't just download it. This is before the internet, people. This is before some of you, okay? I had one option to get it. I had to record it onto VHS, then record the VHS to a cassette tape, and then get that cassette tape to school. It's a very involved process. And at 8.05 in the morning, it wasn't going to happen. There was no time for me to get the song. And I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember exactly where I was standing when it hit me that I had failed at something that had been entrusted to me. Because in an instant, my thought wasn't I failed. My thought was I am a failure. And I began to panic over a silly song, over a silly spirit week. I felt a tremendous amount of shame. I was a disappointment. And there was, what was really interesting was, is it was as though there was sort of a fill in the blank to my identity in that moment at 15 years old. Again, a seemingly insignificant moment. That might not have triggered you, but it triggered me. And I bet you there's things that triggered you from your story as well, where shame collided with your identity. See, in that moment, I had like a blank to my identity, where it basically said, I am blank. And in that moment where I failed, I filled that in by saying, I am a failure. I am unreliable. I didn't feel guilt over what I had done, or in this case, not done. I felt shame over who I was. I was a failure. I was a disappointment. I was unreliable. And this is what shame does. It fills in the blanks to your identity with lies that we somehow believe to be truths. And I don't know what yours are that you walked into this room with this weekend or that are part of your story for as long as you can remember. For some of us, you have filled in the blank, shame is filled in the blank by saying, I am stupid. And you'd never say it in those words, but that's what you feel. 
at work when you see other people who are excelling and they just seem to be born with the skill set to do this job that you can't seem to get on top of? Or they're better at this or better than that than you. And so you tell yourself, I am stupid. I cannot and I will not learn this. Or maybe after feeling the sense of not being able to kind of get it together or get on top of things, you begin to believe the lie that shame fills in the blank with that I am useless. What good am I for? I continue to make a mess of things or a wreck of things. I would never say those words out loud, but the truth of what I believe about my identity is that I'm actually useless or I am unlovable. Maybe you kind of have a string of bad or broken relationships, or maybe there is no string of relationships at all in your story. And so the natural conclusion for you is I must be unlovable. That's what the blank gets filled in with. I am unattractive. I am undesirable. I am unwanted. It's amazing the power that shame has when we allow it to fill in the blanks of our lives. You know, it's so interesting. You can come here today to church, right? It took you a lot to get here and you battled the elements and you got here and you know what's so amazing? The second you walk in the doors, or probably right before you do, you might have been hit with the overwhelming sense that I am not spiritual enough to be here. I don't know. I don't know what these people are talking about. I don't know how to find these books in the Bible. I don't know who these characters are. I am not spiritual enough. All these people clearly are closer to God than me because I am not spiritual enough. Or maybe you believe the lie that I am a disappointment. I am a disappointment. I'm a disappointment to my parents. I'm a disappointment to my spouse. I'm becoming a disappointment to my kids. This is my story. This is the truth of who I am. And then another lie begins to seep in on top of all of those lies of shame. And it begins to tell you this. It is, I am always going to be this way. This is just the truth of who I am. This is my own sort of burden to bear. I am always going to be this way. Shame has a way of telling you that you are never enough and it's always going to be this way. The crazy thing about shame is, is it's lies that you are actually telling yourself to yourself. Imagine if someone else came up to you and said, you are stupid. You could have said very easily, no, I'm not. You're stupid. And that could have gone on for at least another five minutes. But it's easy when someone else outside of you comes and makes an accusation about your identity to defend yourself or to deflect it or to have someone else come to your side and speak up on your behalf. But when you are saying those things to yourself, who speaks up for you? Who speaks truth to you? When you are the one telling yourself the lie that I am unlovable, I am a disappointment, I am a waste, I'm a mess. Who speaks truth and love to you when you're the one telling yourself the lie. Well, thankfully, what we're going to look at here in a moment is that the God who created you, the one that shame wants to attack and say is not enough, actually has an incredible word of life and love and hope and truth for who you really are. And God fills in the blank, thankfully, very differently than shame. And so I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible and open to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. In the Blue Bibles, it's page 786. So those of you who feel I am not spiritual enough, we're giving you page numbers so you know exactly where to go. Page 786, it's Romans chapter 8. Let me give you quick context to what we're about to look at for the next few moments. 
This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, wrote about half the New Testament. It's to a church in the city, the capital city of Rome, very influential city, very big growing church. This came about 20 to 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So just so you understand some timeline, about 20, 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we're about to celebrate at Easter. Now, quick context as to the passage we're about to look at. Rome in that day, uh, in, in its culture, slavery was a part of its identity. It was a part of the culture. Slavery was an accepted norm. Okay, we would never say that in our day today, even though there are more slaves living in our world today than ever before in human history. Rome just accepted it and said it's part of our currency, it's part of our economy, it's part of our way of life. And so they had a very low value for human life. Very low value for human life. And another unique uh, distinctive to Roman culture was not only did they have a low value for human life as seen in slavery, but if there were a baby born to your family that you didn't want or that was sick and difficult to take care of, it was completely acceptable in that culture to leave your baby out on the side of the road or to throw your baby in the river because life had so little value in that culture in that day. And there was, historians talk about a movement of Christians that would go literally and wait by the riverside to rescue babies who had been rejected because they had no value. And so in that context, Paul writes these words that I think speak powerful truth and overwhelming love to the lies of shame. And so this is what he says in Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore there is now no what? Condemnation. Big word. What does it mean? I think you probably know what this means. It means that you no longer have to carry around the sign of accused. You no longer have to carry around the weight of I am guilty for these Punish, you know, these crimes, I'm being constantly punished for who I am. No more, no condemnation for you. Paul says, therefore, there is now, because of Jesus, after thousands and thousands of years of atoning and waiting for the ultimate sacrifice, which would be Jesus, now we can say there actually is no more condemnation for who you are because of what you have done. This only happens for those who are in relationship with Christ Jesus. That's why we talk about a transformational relationship with Jesus all the time here. Religion cannot do this for you. You cannot be good enough to wipe away your condemnation. Only Jesus can do that. And Paul says, here's the good news. It's now available to you, to everyone, for those who are in relationship with Christ Jesus. Because, he says, through Christ Jesus, the law or the way of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. You are no longer condemned. You are a free man. You are a free woman. You are free from the law or the way of sin and death that you were previously bound to. Paul says, look, there's no more condemnation for who you are because of what you've done. You've been set free from that old way of shame and sin and death. And then Paul goes on to give a couple more examples of exactly what the difference is between the law of the spirit and the law of sin or the law of death and how these things are so categorically different, how life in God changes everything. But I want to jump down to verse 14 where he begins to sum it all up. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the what? Children of God. Now, this is very important. He does not say those who are led by the Spirit of God are church attenders for God. He does not say that those who are led by the Spirit of God are soldiers or workers for God. That comes. But your core identity is you are a child of God. 
This cuts right through the lies of shame and begins to fill in the blank with a bigger and better identity for who you are. Remember, there's no more condemnation for who you are because of what you've done. Here's who you are. You are actually a child of God. Verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. Again, Paul referencing a reality to the world around them. You are not slaves. You are not bound to this shame, this way of sin and death anymore, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You know, what Paul's referring to in that time was sonship was sort of the, the uh, position given to the eldest born male in a family. In that culture, in that day, the oldest male had priority and preference in the family. Not necessarily true in our culture today. In some parts of the world, it is. In that culture, that's how things worked. And Paul says, this is what God does. He literally brings you into the family, but he doesn't bring you in as the runt. He doesn't bring you as the reject that he feels sorry for, and so he's giving you a seat at the table. He gives you the full rights of the firstborn, the keys to the kingdom, the inheritance of God. All of it is given to you, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. You're a child of God. And you're brought into his family, given full status. And Paul says, if that weren't enough, by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is Aramaic that literally translates to the word Daddy big powerful word, daddy, that we can literally say to the God of the universe, you are like my daddy. You brought me in. You gave me an identity as your son, as your daughter. But you didn't just give me an identity. You've given me everything. Everything. You are literally speaking truth to my lies and covering over my shame with your love. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, it's the spirit himself, the spirit of God who enters into us when we enter into relationship with God. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are actually God's children. Why? Because we forget all the time. We try and fill in the blank with all kinds of other things. So the spirit of God literally testifies. It reminds us, it speaks truth over the reality of who you are. It begins to fill in the blank with a better story of who you are, a bigger identity, a truer identity, who you are to God. You are a child brought in to his family, loved by him. See, what God does is he begins to fill in the blanks of our identity with something far greater than shame will ever lead you to. God looks at the blank of your identity and says, this is who you are. I'm going to testify this over you right now. I'm going to speak this to you and I'm going to remind you again and again and again. You are, I am loved. You are loved. You may not have been loved all that well in this world. You may not know how to love all that well in this world. But the God of the universe fills in the blank of your identity and says, you're loved. I love you. I choose you. You are chosen. I am chosen by the God of the universe. Listen, all the things that I've done give God a million reasons to walk by me, to ignore me. But what the God of the universe does, so filled with grace and compassion for me, love to the core of his identity, says, no, I, choo I choose you. I'm not obligated to accept you because you prayed a magic prayer to get into relationship with me. I've already chosen you before you ever even knew you could choose me to lavish my love on you. You're chosen. 
You're adopted. You're literally brought in. And maybe that's part of your story. You were adopted. And you know how that can change your story. Or maybe you've adopted children and brought them into your family. And there's no difference, no distinction with them being a part of their identity in your family. God says, you are adopted in. I know you think shame wants to tell you you're not spiritual enough. Shame wants to tell you that you're the sum of all the things that you've done. But I adopt you and give you a new identity in my family. I give you full status. You don't have to earn your way to the top. That's not how it works in my family. And that's not what I created you for or what I'm inviting you into. In relationship with God, we hear him speak into the blank in our lives and say, I am free. I am free. I'm actually more free than I even realize. In a world where people are enslaved all around me, where I can even be enslaved to my own sense of shame, I am actually free in him. Gives us the possibility to say about our identity, I am saved. It's an old school word I don't think we use enough. I am saved. I am literally saved. I know who I am. I know what I was doing. I know where my life was heading. And God literally scooped me out of mess of my life and saved me from myself and from my sin and has brought me into relationship with him so that we can say what we say around here every week at Soul City, I am transforming. I am being changed from the inside out. I am not perfect, far from it, but I am being lovingly changed by the God of the universe from the inside out. The one who created me has crafted me for such a better life than where I was heading. And the blanks that shame would fill in always led to dead ends. And so this is who I now am in him. I need God to speak these truths to the lies of shame in my life. I need him to speak love over the shame that I, for whatever reason, will find and cling to and begin to tell myself over and over and over and again in my head, but say it so many times, enough times that I begin to actually believe that it's true. While it is true that I have guilt over things that I've done, I experience guilt, man, I should not have done that. That was sin. The beautiful thing is in relationship with God, that guilt actually leads me closer to him. I can say, God, because of everything you said that I am, I actually can ask for forgiveness and be made new and be made whole in you so that I am not defined by what I've done, but by what you've done for me through the cross. It's a powerful reframing of who we are. And it's why it's so important that we name shame for what it is. And we let God speak his truth and his love into and over it. Nine years ago, uh, today, I saw in a very tragic way what happens when someone loses sight of who they are in God, when they allow shame to continue to fill in the blanks of their identity. Jeannie and I had known uh, a beautiful young woman. Her name's Lori. And we had watched her grow up through high school. We were the youth pastors at her church, and so we watched her grow up and came from a great family, incredible family. And she had a tremendous faith. As a 15-year-old, we'd look at her and go, wow, her faith is deep and it is real, powerful. In fact, her senior year, she spoke in front of thousands of high school students and told the story of God's love and how he had changed her life. Gifted communicator. And as she went off to college, she began to lose some of the relationships that she had had and uh, there are things that she had done and 
things that were kind of secrets in her life, because again, shame needs secrecy to survive. And there were things that were going on in her life, things that she was doing, that she began to allow to define who she was. And years would go by, and the shame would intensify, and the lies would become like a truth to her, so much so that she couldn't even see clearly anymore. And on, on, on March 2nd, 2005, Lori took her own life, tragically, completely unexpectedly. And in her note, she explained, and you could see it, because I read it, the lies that had become like a truth to her, the ways that shame had filled in the blanks for her, so much so that she lost sight of, she didn't hear, she couldn't recognize the voice of God speaking the truth of who she is. And as I did, I performed her funeral. I couldn't, it took me a long time to come up with words to say, to give hope to what is so seemingly such a hopeless situation. Maybe you've known someone who's taken their own life. It is hard to try and put the pieces together. What was even more challenging and difficult at that time, specifically for our community, was that this was the third suicide in 18 months in our church. And I think back onto that season and that time, and I think about the power that shame can have in our lives when we don't allow God to speak in. And the darkness that can come and the lies that can become like truths and the life that we begin to believe is our, all we're ever gonna have, all we're ever gonna know. And as I think back onto that season and those times and many other challenging times where I've sat in the face of some of my own shame or sat across the table from people who are literally being defined by their shame, letting their life be filled in with shame. All I can say and all I can hope, and the reason we're talking about this this morning is that you would today not have to wait till that moment but that today, wherever there may be shame, a part of your story or part of what you believe to be true about you, that you would literally name that shame for what it is. It's a lie from hell sent here to destroy your life and defame God. And that you would say, I'm no longer gonna allow the I am of my life, the blank of my life to be filled in with shame. But I'm going to listen for and cling to the truth of who I am in God, who he says I am. Let that become the truth that I cling to. This last week, uh, there was a really a, a powerful moment of a movement uh, that came on Thursday. I had some dear friends of ours and people literally all over the world uh, set out to raise awareness for human slavery. Again, something we even looked at and addressed this morning. And they're leading the thing called the End It Movement. And one of their big things they did on Thursday was asked everyone to paint a red X on their hand and to take a picture of it and say, look, I'm about bringing an end to slavery in my lifetime. If you were here this last summer, you heard my brother teach here at Soul City Church. He leads a couple organizations that are fighting modern-day slavery. And I was so amazed as our family participated and to see sort of the awareness that came to what is so seemingly such an obvious evil, to watch awareness and truth begin to bring light 
to a situation, I was thinking of this time for us here this weekend. And I began to wonder, what would it look like if we raised awareness to the power of shame in our own lives? If the only person we raised awareness to was ourselves. To say, I'm no longer going to allow the blank of my life to be filled in with shame, but to be filled in by the truth of who God says I am. You know, the one who made me and who loves me and who chooses me. And so what we want to do is your homework this week is to have you actually take a pen. In fact, there's a Sharpie on your seat back. I'm going to ask you to grab it. And we're going to do a little exercise that may only get you to the end of the day or maybe the first thing you do when you wake up each day this week. And we want to ask you to draw across your hand a black line and let it represent the blank that we are so quick to fill in with shame or with lies about who we are and to make as a commitment, a covenant, if only to ourselves, but to those around us, that I am going to let my identity be formed and shaped by the truth and the reality of who God says I am. I'm going to let him fill in the blank. So this week at work, when I feel like I am worthless and I see others excelling all around me, I'll say, no, the God of the universe says I matter to him. He's demonstrated it through his son. He's demonstrated by giving me life and gifts and abilities. So I may not be as good as that person. This That does not mean I'm worthless. When I feel unlovable, undesirable, unattractive, I say, no, 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 no. No, the God of the universe delights in me, loves me, chooses me. When I feel alone and all I know is I am unworthy, I am going to always be alone. I can say, no, 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 no. The God of the universe says I am chosen. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am brought into his family. I have a place in his family. And let this be a visual reminder to you when you feel those lies start to creep up that you can actually speak truth into them and pour love over them. God's love for you. And wherever this may take you this week, our hope is that it would draw you closer to God instead of what shame longs to do, which is to pull you further and further away from him. So we're going to move into a moment of responding to God out of this moment, of declaring our love for him because of his great love for us. We're going to let him literally speak truth over who we are by declaring who he is the next few moments. And the fascinating thing is the, the Bible says that what happened at the cross, what we're about to celebrate at Easter, is so much more than we could even possibly imagine in this lifetime. But one of the things that happened in that moment, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before the event, when he said that it would be Jesus himself who would take on our shame, who would literally take on, who would be despised and take on our shame for us so that we wouldn't have to pick it up anymore. He would take on the weight of the sin and the shame of the world. He would take that upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to anymore. That's why there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he bore our shame. And he said, I am enough for you. I am enough for you. 
And if I am enough for you, you are enough for me to bear the cross and the sin and the shame of this world. So we're going to respond and sing to him right now. I'm going to ask you to maybe close your eyes and think about maybe some of the lies that God has brought to your attention. For you to take a moment and even name the shame that is in your life right now. And maybe there are some things stirring up that are actually good and godly and healthy guilt where you look at some of the things you've done, some of the decisions you've made recently, some of the ways that you've chosen your way over God's way, walked even away from God himself. And that in the spirit of healthy guilt, would you acknowledge and confess and repent those things that you've done to God and not allow those things to define who you are to God? And maybe there's a lie that you need him to speak truth into right now because it's all you're hearing in your ear. And so that's what we pray, God, by this little mark on our hand, we would be reminded today and hopefully each day of this week, God, and hopefully each day of the rest of our life that we actually are somebody in you. It's not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us and because of who you are, God, we get to be in relationship with you. Because you are love, we get to be loved and identified and caught up in your love. Because you are a good father, we get to be your children. Because, Jesus, you bore the weight of our sin and shame, we get to be saved and set free. And so we thank you for who you are and who you are inviting us to be in you. So we sing this song to you now, asking you to continue to teach and change and transform our hearts. In your name and because of who you are. Amen.